When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome into a very special episode of the Nick Bob Podcast. I am uh, doing this from my hotel room in Indianapolis, uh, here with Fox covering uh, some Butler games. Got a lot to dive into, but before we get into the today's pod, I want to remind you guys, subscribe to the podcast. All you got to do is hit that subscribe button. That way, all the pods are downloaded and waiting for you on your phone, so you'll never miss an episode. And that way, all you got to do is hit play, and boom, it's off and run it. So subscribe. Again, taping this podcast from Indianapolis, a uh, glamorous life inside uh, uh, my hotel room. Uh, and I'm uh, taping this on a Thursday. It's November 7th. Uh, we got a lot to get into. It's going to be a hoops-heavy podcast uh, with the college hoops season off and running. I want to talk about Creighton and Nebraska, what we saw in the first game. But I, I want to start with this. It's kind of like a, a thought to kind of dive into some different things. One of the things that that I think is important, at least for me, now that I'm married and and have a three year old daughter and and have a career, and anybody listening to this can can relate to that. You're in a relationship, you got kids, you got your job, whatever. Don't allow frustration with one thing to spill over into something else. Which is basically saying, don't take your frustration with one aspect of your life out on something or someone else. And that, that can be challenging. You got a rough day. You have a rough day at work. Don't come home and take that out on your wife or your kids or vice versa. You know, your kid's driving you nuts. They peed the bed. They spilled the Cheerios. They won't listen. They're screaming, all this stuff. Don't then go to work and take it out on your coworkers. Try to compartmentalize your frustrations and then kind of check them at the door depending on what situation you are walking into. And that can be really hard. It can be really, really hard. Husker fans, don't let your frustrations with Nebraska football spill over into Nebraska basketball. I know it's tough. I get it, dude. I get it. But I think it would be wise for every single Husker fan before they either walk into Pinnacle Bank Arena or they sit down on their couch to watch the Nebraska basketball team play on TV, take a deep breath, and check whatever emotional football frustrations you got at the door. And I just got the sense in kind of absorbing some of the reactions to game one of the Fred Hoiberg era, which obviously did not go well. Uh, Nebraska took it on the chin pretty good to UC Riverside in Lincoln. But I, just, I got the sense there was some blending of the two sports with the frustrations of how that night went for Husker Hoops. And I just think you got to try to not let that happen. Don't let your frustrations with Nebraska football spill over into Nebraska basketball. Because listen, this year for Nebraska basketball is, is going to be an interesting one full of ups and downs. And certainly the other night was a rough one. And so let's get into kind of what happened the other night. It, it was interesting. So I didn't get to watch the Nebraska-UC Riverside game live because I was 50, 60 miles down the road. At uh, calling the Creighton Kennesaw State opener 
on Fox. But obviously, I was kind of keeping tabs on it, checking the score. And what was interesting was I had someone ask me as I was leaving the Creighton game, they said, Nick, did you see the Nebraska score? Can you believe it? And you know what my answer was? I said, yeah, yeah, I can. I can believe that. Am I am I just flat out jaw drop stunned at that result of what happened with Nebraska hoops? No, I'm I'm not. I'm really not. Now, that's not to say that I think Nebraska's bad and they're gonna have an awful year, but I say that out of respect for how hard it is to win in college basketball and the amount of respect I have for the process of building the foundation and building the chemistry and building that togetherness with a basketball team to go out and win. It's hard, guys. It's really hard. And that's just it. Nebraska is a team that is trying to figure out who they are. It's a roster full of brand-new guys that have never played together and outside of basically two to three guys, they've never have played Division One basketball. They they don't really have anything they can rely and lean on from a player standpoint or a foundational cultural standpoint. You know, they don't got a player that they can just throw the ball to and he can go get a bucket and get him out of a of, of a jam. They don't they don't have anything that they've established within their program yet, and it's unreasonable to expect them to have that. They've just been together for a couple of months where they can lean on that during tough times. They're building the foundation. They're building chemistry and trust with each other. And when you're, when you're in that process, there is no substitute for time, but most importantly, there's no substitute for shared experiences as a group. The, the only way you know about trust and chemistry is when it gets tested. That's the only way you know. It's easy to get along and trust each other and trust the process when you're practicing and you haven't played a game and you haven't lost and you haven't gotten down. But that gets challenged when you hit a little adversity. And that that's what I saw when I watched the Nebraska-UC Riverside game on, on film. I finally was able to download it and watch it this morning while I was drinking some coffee in my hotel room. And th- that was one of the, the prevailing things that jumped out. There were a lot of things in that game. But for, for me, when I was watching that game, when things went south for Nebraska, they didn't have anyone individually that could bail them out, and they didn't have anything yet foundationally they could lean on. And to me, I totally get that. I, I, I totally get that. Now, that's not to excuse the performance because it obviously was a pretty ugly game and Nebraska didn't play well, obviously. I'd, I'd like to do this sometimes. Like sometimes you got to say it out loud. Just let, let's let's say this out loud. Okay, first game under a brand new coach with a brand new staff with a roster full of brand new players who have all never played together. And of those players that played the other night, you had two junior college kids. You had a transfer from Robert Morris, which is a low major, Seattle, which is a low major, and Florida Gulf Coast, which is a low major. Then you had three true freshmen who were playing their first college basketball game. And the one guy with any experience at this level at Nebraska has scored a grand total of 50 career points. That's the situation. 
That's the situation. So, again, I'm not saying Nebraska stinks and is going to get killed all year, but what I am saying is I didn't expect that roster and that situation to be a well-oiled machine the first time out. And they certainly weren't a well-oiled machine. But I think if you went to, into that game expecting to see, you know, the Hoiberg's old Iowa State teams, or you know, it's, you, I, I think you you had unreasonable and unrealistic expectations. Now, I don't think the expectation should have been for Nebraska to get you know their get popped pretty good like they did to UC Riverside. But again, with all that I laid out, I'm not too terribly surprised with how that game unfolded. I'm really not. And when I, when I was sitting watching the game this morning, there were a couple of things that, that stood out. Young, inexperienced players typically struggle with two things. Well, I mean, a bunch of things, but two, two in, in particular. Attention to detail and execution on defense. And because of that, oftentimes their offense impacts the energy on defense. I thought both those things were on display in the first game for Nebraska. Nebraska had a hard time sustaining the necessary defensive energy and execution, and I thought missing shots offensively impacted Nebraska's defensive fight as the game wore on. Nebraska did a pretty good job early in that game defending. They were were pretty solid. But when they couldn't throw it in the ocean, all of a sudden – Nebraska was a little bit slow and stuck in the mud on defense with their rotation at times, which allowed for UC Riverside to get a bunch of clean, good looks from three, and they made them in the second half. There were some guys that were caught ball watching. Their off-the-ball awareness was not great. They didn't communicate on some switches and some rotations. And I'm just telling you, I've, I've went through it. The biggest adjustment by far from high school to Division I basketball is on the defensive end of the floor how hard you have to work, the level of intelligence that it takes to cover things. It's a different level. And I thought a handful of guys struggled with that. And, you know, it's funny. Some people think chemistry in basketball is just an offensive thing. Like, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, chemistry, the lion's share of it reveals itself on the offensive end. But there is such a thing as defensive chemistry, understanding uh, – anticipating each other, trusting each other that, you know, if I cover for, you know, if I'm Hanif Cheatham and I cover for Cam Mack, I trust that Gervais Green's going to cover for me. And we don't have that trust. Maybe you don't cover for Cam Mack initially. Like there, there is something to defensive chemistry and trust as well. And I thought all those things were, were on display. And there were a couple of guys that really struggled with that. And then, and then, you know, what's going to be a theme all, all year is Nebraska had a tough time rebounding the ball. It's going to be a grind all year. It's a small team, and their biggest guy is Ivan Wedrogo, who is a, a freshman. And Nebraska got out-rebounded by 16, and I think that impacted their offense too because you can't run unless you corral that defensive rebound. And outside of the first five-plus minutes of the game, Nebraska didn't get a lot in the open floor. I mean – Early in the game, they got a couple of easy ones with some you know, numbers in transition and, and pushing it. And once Nebraska got bogged down in the half court, they had a hard time. They had a hard time. And it was an offensive struggle. 
I mean, the guys that they're going to lean on offensively, Deshaun Burke, Gervais Green, and Cam Mack, all had tough nights. Burke turned it over. Green didn't shoot it well and was a little erratic. Cam Mack never really got it rolling. And they shot it poorly from three as a group. They were six of 26 from three. And within those missed threes, I think the biggest misses were from Kevin Cross, the 6'8 freshman. He was one for six from three, and he was playing the five spot, and he couldn't make UC Riverside's big, slow five-man pay for not getting out on the three-point line to guard him. I mean, Hoiberg loves versatility, and in particular in the front line. And Kevin Cross is an interesting small ball five because he can shoot it and handle it and make plays. He could have really hurt UC Riverside and changed the game, but he was just off. He he got I mean, he got six clean looks from three and only made one. I mean, if he especially early, I mean, if he knocks down three or four of those, it's a totally different game. So there's just there's a lot to learn from with that game. And sometimes you don't, if you're Coach Hoiberg, you sometimes don't know what you got until you get into a real game. I get, you can go to Italy and play in games and, and you can scrimmage and you can even, you don't know what you really got until you get in, on the big stage, in the light, in, you know, under the lights, Pinnacle Bank Arena, real game, TV. Like, and so I think that, that was not only a learning experience for the players, but I'd imagine for the coaches as well. But I think above all, it's a shared experience that that group sorely needs. The only way to forge trust and true chemistry is to go through things together. Now, I mean, moving forward, do I worry about confidence? Yeah, a bit. I mean, you're always kind of, that's something I think you always have to be be aware of and thinking about. I mean, first game, first time out, to get popped pretty good at home to a team like UC Riverside. I mean, sure, you you worry about where the where that team's at mentally, and you worry about how they're going to respond. That's something that Fred Hoiberg's going to have to navigate. And the last thing on Nebraska hoops, the other thing that Fred Hoiberg will have to navigate is the tough predicament that a lot of new coaches in their first year of of a program can face, and that is where do you draw the line? between establishing your identity and your style of play versus what gives you the best chance to win in the moment. Really tough. Because for Fred Hoiberg, obviously he's a guy who wants to play fast, wants to attack, wants to shoot a bunch of threes, wants to make it a fast-paced up-and-down game. Well, if you do that, you better have the horses that can, that can do it. Because if you get into a track meet three-point shooting contest and don't have the shooters and offensive firepower to back it up, things can get away from you quick. So the question is, does Hoiberg have the shooting and personnel to play the way he wants to play right, right now? I, I think to a certain extent, that still is to be determined. But I will say this. You have a super fast point guard in Cam Mack, and you are a small team. And I think when you combine those two things, the logical conclusion is to play fast. Because I've always thought this. Size gets minimized in an open, fast-paced game. When the game is, is up and down the floor, size isn't as, as much of an issue. Where size becomes an issue is a slower-paced, half-court grinder. That's when size really sinks its teeth into you. 
So I still think playing fast can suit this roster, and we all know the style and identity that Hoiberg wants to establish is that, but it is always an interesting thing to watch with any first-year coach is just that predicament. What gives you the best chance to win in the moment versus what you're trying to build long-term? Because I still think, like, is Nebraska going to want to go to Maryland and get into a track meet? Does Nebraska want to play Michigan State and get into a track meet? I mean, even in a couple of uh, in, in about a month, is Nebraska going to want to go to Creighton and get into a track meet with Creighton? I don't know, but I also think you want to establish that style of play and their elements. And when you look at this roster, you're like, yeah, you know, it makes sense for them to want to want to speed it up. Not very big, got a fast point guard, all those things. So all in all, everyone take a deep breath. Like I said at the top, don't don't allow your don't don't take your football frustrations and have them spill over into to Nebraska basketball. Try to compartmentalize those two, those two things. It's just one game. I, I I told you. I think there's going to be a lot of. I think the 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 spectrum each night of how this team can play is extremely wide. And the the roller coaster is going to be kind of in full effect this year. I think there could be nights where, uh, listen, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be the only night where they, they take it on the chin, you know, I mean, just because that's how college basketball can be when you're young and inexperienced. But, you know, if they're hitting shots and they're rolling that, you know, they could be, they, they do have uh, some ingredients that, that could be difficult to deal with, but it's just one game. Everybody relax. It'll be fun to watch how these guys bounce back, though. It really will. These are, this is a really important couple of weeks stretch here. you got Southern Utah and South Dakota State. Got a lot of practice time. Need to take big strides. And I think oftentimes when you finally get a game under your belt, that allows you to show things on film that are going to help the team and help the coaching staff understand what they got. So, so you know, sticking with hoops and, and going just 60 miles down the road to, to, to Creighton, uh, because that's where I was on on the opening night, calling Creighton Kennesaw State, and Creighton won their opener. I thought you know the Jays shot it well from three, and I thought they played really well to start the game, and then for the first 10, 12 minutes of the second half, thought they had two really good surges there. But we all know when you think Creighton, you think threes, and you think a perimeter-oriented team. But for me, the one thing I was looking for was was the big guys, the front line, and I wanted to see what they looked like. And so far, I've been really impressed with with Christian Bishop. I think when I look at Bishop, he's the most improved player on the team. He's put on about 20 pounds of muscle since last year, and that is making a difference. He's he's undersized playing the five. I mean, he's really like a forward wing, and he's having to play the five. So strength is important. I mean, keep in mind, Bishop is 6'7", and at one point, he was a guard in high school, and he grew almost 12 inches in high school. So he's got kind of a unique skill set. But that, that strength, I asked Christian Bishop about this after the exhibition game. He talked about how when he catches those lobs to the rim, that strength allows him to go through contact with his ascent to catch and finish above the rim. Last year, there were times he would jump and get displaced in the air because he wasn't strong. This year, he's able to catch, finish through contact. That's all the weight room. But I, I think he's looked great. He's the most improved Jay to me. And then the other big is the Idaho State transfer, Kelvin Jones. 6'11", long arms. This guy's had a crazy journey. Went from I mean, this is his fourth program in four years. He went from UTEP to Odessa Junior College to Idaho State and now Creighton. So this guy is like, I mean, has he unpacked a suitcase one time? <laughs> he's moving around. So this guy's a, a grizzled veteran, and he's looked good so far. Now listen, he doesn't need to be Wilt Chamberlain, 
but he just needs to be solid. And he's been that. Kelvin Jones can, you know, he looks like a guy that can kind of score with his back to the basket, which is always a good option to have. Sometimes it's nice to just throw the ball and do the post. He's a willing passer, takes his time down there. But the one thing that is different with Kelvin Jones is he, I talked about that lob rim, lob to the rim element with Bishop. Jones doesn't really have that lob to the rim capabilities like Christian Bishop or Marcin Crumple had or even, uh, even some other bigs in the past, Justin Patton. And that is a huge part of Creighton's offense. That's a staple in in what the Jays do. And when I right now, initially, Jones just doesn't have that quick twitch, go up and get it type of athleticism. It's weird. He can run and he can kind of move laterally, but he's not an overly gifted vertical athlete. So when when Jones is on the floor, it'll be more traditional dump passes on the pick and roll rather than the, the lob up, flip ups to the rim. And, and with that said, it's going to be important for the guards to understand who is rolling when they get ball screens and get into the lane. Because sometimes the Jays guards are just conditioned to throw that thing up to the rim. Well, with, with Kelvin Jones, it's going to be different. With Bishop, you can throw that thing up to the square, he's going to go get it. But with Kelvin Jones, I think it's going to be more dump passes. Just a little thing to watch. But the big thing to keep an eye on with those two guys, Bishop and, uh, and Kelvin Jones, is playing defense without fouling. Now, both guys are a little foul prone, and given the, the injury to Jacob Epperson and the frontline situation, those guys just can't afford silly fouls. And the, th- that's going to be interesting to balance, the ability to play hard, play with energy, and have some teeth in their individual defense without fouling. going to be interesting. That's going to be crucial. Going to be absolutely crucial for Creighton. Few other things with the Jays, you know, Sharif Mitchell, uh, boy, he's as good as advertised on defense. I mean, he is uh, he is great on the ball. He did a really good job on Kennesaw State's. Uh, they, they got a preseason All Conference selection guy, and and Sharif did did a nice job bothering him, flustering him. And it was interesting. I was talking to Coach McDermott at shoot around, and in terms of just pure ability to pester the ball handler. Coach Mack told me Sharif Mitchell has a chance to be the best he's ever coached at that. Now, he, you know, Kyrie Thomas was different. You know, he was good at navigating through screens and he was long, but just the ability to really, you know, get under the ball handler and fluster him, Sharif's built differently than Kyrie Thomas's, which is exciting. You know, I mean, really exciting. Now, I will say this Mitchell's get offensive game is still a work in progress. He still looks like he's a little nervous at that end of the floor at me, that end of the floor to me. Like he's just. He he's he's still settling in. He's not the he's not the most polished ball handler, so he's got to tighten that up. But defensively, he's going to be really really fun to watch. But you know the by far the biggest concern right now when talking Creighton is the injuries. I I kind of thought all year or all off season heading into this year for me it was like you know people are like hey how will Creighton be I'm like well listen they stay healthy I think they got a chance to be really good. They stay healthy they'll be fine. Well that's already getting tested a little bit. I mean, so obviously we talked about Jacob Everson's out. Davion Mintz, who had started the past 59 games, missed the opener. Uh, I think believe, I believe got his cast off with his, uh, his bad ankle sprain. He's still a few weeks away, and you never know how long those types of bad ankle sprains will linger. Just guess Damian Jefferson, who's the next guy who's banged up, he missed the first game because of the lingering effects of an ankle issue going all the way back to last year. Remember, Damian Jefferson had midseason ankle surgery last year. It was the exact same surgery as Tua Tunga Viola's. And 
He didn't really get his pop and explosiveness back last year, and he tweaked it a few weeks ago, and so he was out. And so it's an interesting situation where, you know, Jalen Windham, I thought the freshman played well, but because of Mince's situation, you're having to throw Windham into the fire. And even Jet Canfield, a walk-on, uh, who with if Mince was healthy, you maybe wouldn't see him as much, but he's on the floor. And it's just a it's a it's a weird situation for Creighton where it's a perfect storm of injuries and injuries at specific spots making it tough. So the Jays really need to get those two guys in particular, Mince and, and Damian Jefferson, back healthy and on the floor. And I do think the way the schedule lays out with a full week off is huge for the Jays to get rest because it gets real next week when they go to uh, to Michigan. They're going to get big time tested with uh, with with the Wolverines. So you, you you hope some guys get healthy. You hope some guys get uh, get to where they they can get back onto the floor. So that that's kind of the snapshot what I'm seeing early with with Creighton in Nebraska. Again, like I said, with Nebraska, everyone relax. You know, just take a deep breath. With the, it obviously, it was an ugly first game. Not too terribly surprised with when you look at the kind of the makeup of how things look. And I thought Creighton really had some good spurts. I thought the bigs have have shown that they're capable, but certainly the injury situation is something to absolutely keep an eye on. It's something to absolutely keep an eye on. There we go. Little ho- little hotel pod. Love it. Absolutely love it. Again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Got a bunch of bunch more good stuff for you guys, man. Uh gonna do a, a another mailbag uh with with some basketball questions from you guys. Uh, we got to talk a little football coming up on uh, on on the pod over the weekend as Nebraska obviously on a bye week. You know, I was I, when I was getting ready for this pod, I was like, do I want to talk some football? I'm like, eh, I think everyone needs to let it breathe for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like everybody needs to. There's so much angst and and anxiety and and emotions going on with the Nebraska football team that I think it felt like you know what need a little bit of a of a of a break from football. So really diving into hoops this week. We'll get into football uh, because you got a you got a hell of a of a game coming up in uh, in about a week and a half with Wisconsin coming to town. And certainly, I, you know, I've been stockpiling some interesting thoughts uh, with with Nebraska football that we'll dive into uh, in a in, in a pod over the weekend. All right, so appreciate you guys uh, downloading and listening. Remember, subscribe to the Nick Bob Podcast. That way, you'll have every episode waiting for you on your phone and uh, make sure you you keep an eye on the pod because we got some good stuff still coming this week. Peace. Media Production.